Well, we welcome Jeff. Jeff's uh, going to carry on our uh, journey through uh, 1 Thessalonians. For those of you that don't know Jeff, um, Jeff and uh, Maggie, uh, they used to lead the Vineyard Church here in Peterborough. And uh, and uh, that came to a close, didn't it? Uh, we will probably include this in your story, but... Um, but Jeff is a—he's not just the former pastor of Vineyard Church. He's still a pastor. He's still a leader. He's still a man of God. He's still got God's still got stuff to for him to do, and uh, I believe that um, that that we're going to hear some great stuff this morning. And um, I think God's got some good stuff. And I've said stuff a lot today. Uh, I have, haven't I? Stuff. That's a good way. Yeah, of yeah it. let's yeah, write that down. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Um, Stop waffling. I'm going to pray All for right. Jeff. Father, we want to thank you for all that Jeff has got prepared for us. We pray uh, that you would give us open hearts, good soil hearts for seeds to fall into this morning. And so we pray a real freedom upon Jeff to bring what you've placed in his heart uh, for us today. Holy Spirit, come and breathe life into these words this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Have I got this microphone working? Is it? I hate technology. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all on. Good. Can you hear me then? No, nobody can hear me, obviously. Anyway, is it okay? Yeah? Right. We'll go. I probably will shout loud enough anyway, so don't yeah. worry about it. Right, thanks Dave for inviting me to come and talk this morning. Um, it's, it's been interesting. This is the first time I've probably been up my list for oh, 14 months, something like that. So uh, it's good, good to be back. And, and actually I want to say a thank you to all of you as church really because, you know, when you finish doing church and you sort of close the church down, it can be quite a traumatic thing. And, uh, you know, Maggie and I have felt so much at home here with you, well, with us guys now. I, you know, it's, it, I'm still trying to get around saying we rather than you and that sort of stuff. But, but it is we. And, and we very much have appreciated the welcome and the love that you've shared with us in these last few months. Um, and we look forward to that continuing. So there we go. Okay. What are we going to talk about this evening, this afternoon, this morning even? We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm particularly going to be looking at the first eight verses. Uh, I know it's a bit longer than that, but that's all that I could squeeze into what I wanted to look at this morning. But before we look at and read this passage, I want to just ask you to just think with me for a second about somebody that has influenced you, okay? Someone that's had an impact on your life. Perhaps someone that you aspire to become. Maybe it was a teacher at school or a close friend. Maybe even a leader in the church. Now just think about that person. And what are the characteristics of that person that really attract you to him or to her? You know, what draws you to them? What are the things that you like about them? 
Now, as you've started thinking about that, I just want you now to park that to one side for a minute, and I'll come back to it a bit later in my talk. But as we, we're continuing our look through this journey through Thess 1 Thessalonians this morning, I want us to look at two particular characteristics of a person. Two things that should actually describe not just leaders in the church, but actually all of us who follow Jesus. And in particular, I want us to look at two aspects of service within the church this morning. So turn with me now, if you will then, to our passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. And I'm going to read it now from the NIV. It says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal that we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. You know, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Now, you know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. But instead, we were like young children among you. And just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Amen. And so here in our passage this morning, I want us to look at these two aspects of service that Paul sets out for us. And, and we can see in, in the passage that he does so by using himself as an example. And, and perhaps even when you first read this, you know, you might think that he's being a little bit big-headed here. But I think, actually, it's very important to see that he's not doing this to boast, but he's writing this passage, this letter, in response to his critics. You see, the gospel is at stake here. This young church is at risk. And if you weren't with us last Sunday for, for Dave's introduction to this letter, I want to just briefly paint the background to this passage. We see it in Acts 17. Paul comes into this town, Thessalonica. He's been more or less kicked out, run out of Philippi, and he comes to Thessalonica. And as normal, he would go into the synagogue, and he preaches there, and people come to faith. I think we read in, in Acts, it says, many Jews, God-fearing Greeks, and prominent women, they all came to faith in Jesus. And as so often happens, you know, we see these Jewish leaders getting really jealous of Paul's success 
And after even just a few weeks of being in Thessalonica, they chase him out of town yet again. Little mouse going. And so, apparently, there are also some people there, likely to have been the Jewish leaders again, who are questioning Paul's motives. They're trying to lead this young, fragile congregation astray. You know, you can just imagine it, can't you? (laughs) See, his message was a load of lies and rubbish. You know, he's run off. He didn't stay very long, did he? So much for that. But you see, Paul is writing back here to these Thessalonian believers. And he's defending his time of ministry with them. And in the process... He actually shows us what biblical servants look like. And he allows us to look into his heart and into his motives for doing what he does. And again, I don't think these things are here just for those that are labelled leaders, like Paul. You know, when you think about it, if leadership is having influence then we've all got somebody looking up to us who's watching us and we're either leading them to Jesus or away from him. And that is depending surely on how we live and act out our lives day by day. And so here in this passage, as Paul writes to this young church, he shows us a vision of how to serve. As Christians and members of his church, he wants us to serve in faithfulness and sacrificially. They're the things that we were looking at this morning. So that first point I want to go into more detail of is I believe that Paul calls us to be faithful in our service and to actually then boldly present the gospel no matter what the cost is to us. Now that's the hard bit. The apostle here, he reminds them that he's kept his message pure and clear. He didn't water it down. He he writes in verse 2, he says, With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel. You see, Paul and his team, they shared the love of Jesus with the Thessalonians despite the cost, despite what would or could be done to them. Paul also reminds them of what he didn't do while he was there, as he speaks out to his critics. He said, look at verse 3, he says this, he says, his message isn't based on error, it's the true gospel of God. It doesn't come from impure motives. He's not seeking sexual immorality, like some would call for. And he doesn't come to trick them. He doesn't try to bait them or to switch them or lead them astray. Now that's not Paul's way, and it shouldn't be ours either. The problem is, is that this sort of action is so common in some of our churches today. And Satan, our enemy, he certainly uses those who utilise these sort of tactics. You see, in our churches, in some churches, false teaching is so common. So many 
will fall into sexual sin. Some churches will do anything so that they get their conversions or even just bums on seats. But our enemy loves to use these false messengers with their false messages to lead whole crowds of people astray and in so doing to discredit the gospel. Now there's no doubt the enemy wants to lure us in that direction too. You know, I once heard, and this is a true story, of a priest who while he was serving communion to his congregation, one of the women there, as, she, as he was handing her the cup, she slipped him a little note with her phone number on it with details of a rendezvous that she wanted to make with him. You know, even in that act of communion, somebody would try and do that. She wanted to lead him astray, even in these most sacred of acts. And, and I believe that the enemy, he wants us to take the bait so often, so that Jesus ends up looking bad. And we have to pray that Jesus will lead us away from temptations like this and to deliver us from these evils. So we see that Paul didn't come to do any of this stuff. Stuff. I use that word. Yeah, yeah, good word. You know, everywhere he did ministry, Paul, in Thessalonica included, he sought to please God. That was his ultimate aim. Look at verse 4. He says, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. See, Paul doesn't come seeking to please people, and he certainly isn't living in fear of them. He's standing in fear of God. He's trying to please him. He's trying to be faithful. And that's because he sees himself as a steward, a steward of God's word. Now, I, I skipped over some words at the beginning of verse 4 where the apostle wrote this. He says, We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Now, I'm sure many of us have, have heard of this concept, haven't we, of stewardship within the church. And most probably, we've heard of it talked about in relationship to money. And that's true. You know, what do we say? We say, you know, actually God owns our money, it's his. And he lets us take care of it. And we use it for his purposes. You know, we're managers of it. We're stewards of it. And that's right, we are. And it's exactly true about money. But just as with our money, you know, the gospel, it's not our message, it's God's. It's his. And we're stewards of it. We're stewards of the word of God, of the gospel. And that's how Paul sees himself. He's been given this message. He's been entrusted with it. He can't squander it. He's a steward of it. Now that actually is quite humbling. But at the same time, can be really liberating too. Paul says this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 1 he says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ 
and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. You know, and we too are like Paul here. We've all been made ministers or servants of his message. And we've got to take care of it. And we've got to boldly present his gospel to people. And Paul did this, no matter what it cost him. We're reminded in verse 2 of how Paul got to Thessalonica. As I said earlier, he fled his, for his life from Philippi. But even the move to a different city actually changed nothing. He faced the same stuff here in Thessalonica again. And he reminded them that he declared the gospel to them in face of strong opposition, is what it says. And folks, as believers, we have to expect much the same thing. Things shouldn't ever get too comfortable for us. You know, we've got to forge ahead through whatever pain and trouble comes our way. You know, we've got to expect flack from people. And we've got to let it roll off our shoulders. You know, we've got to be thick-skinned for the gospel. Telling the truth of the gospel is not always easy. Because sometimes, it's not, and well, quite often, it's not what people want to hear. But... It is God's message. And as Romans 1 put it, puts it, the gospel is the power of God. And when we proclaim it, God's spirit gets involved. And big things can happen. That's what happens if we're faithful to God's word. The temptation though, of course, and I think especially when we're perhaps suffering and we're a bit down, is actually that we don't steward God's word very well. We can tend to water it down. And we can end up saying what we think people want to hear, regardless of what God's word says. And these temptations to us can be extremely strong. But God calls us to be faithful. He calls us to be good stewards. And he tells us, to boldly present his gospel. To do it no matter what the cost. And to let him handle the results. Before I move on, I think there's just one other little important principle I just want us to grasp. And it's this. That fruitfulness is tied to faithfulness. I'm going to say that again. Fruitfulness is tied to faithfulness. Now there's power in the purity of God's message. And that's so clearly what Paul is trying to get across here. You know, he praises God for the fruit among the Thessalonians. We see that all throughout chapter 1. But here in chapter 2, Paul actually shows us how the fruit got there. And it came about because Paul went about doing things the right way. And that's what validated his ministry. Now, you know, people can produce 
what looks like good fruit quite easily. They can do it in their own strength, perhaps with the wrong methods. You know, it happens all the time, doesn't it? But I think the proof of the pudding, the proof of the fruit, is how long will it last? How long will it keep going? Now, seeing fruit in our ministry can really take time and patience. You just ask Russ and Maggie. They know what that's been like over the years. It takes time, patience, and it also takes commitment, real commitment. Now, I know that we as a church, we want to produce fruit that lasts. Even when things get really tough, even when people stand against us, we need to boldly present the gospel, no matter what it costs us. We need to seek to be faithful because the Lord calls us to faithful service. Now I'm going to move on now to the second thing that I want us to see in this passage. You know, we've looked at faithful service. I want us to look now at sacrificial service. You know, where we're encouraged to lovingly give our lives even when it hurts. In our passage here, we see that Paul so clearly, deeply loves these believers in Thessalonica. Do you see this? He didn't just coldly preach at them. He loved them. And he still loves them. And that's why he sent Timothy to check on them. And that's why he's writing this letter. Because he deeply loves them. And we see again another trio of things that Paul says he didn't do. Again, he's speaking out against those who are trying to turn these Thessalonian believers against him. If you look at verses 5 and 6, the apostle says he didn't come with flattery. He wasn't being slick. He wasn't trying to trick them through his smooth words. He also wasn't motivated by greed. He wasn't interested in their money. And he wasn't trying to get what he could out of them. It's also not about the applause or getting people's praise. What is it he writes here? We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anybody else. You know, he's not about becoming a celebrity. We know and we see that he's about giving God the glory. He says that, you know, they didn't pursue praise. Even though they could have made demands as apostles of Christ. See, as apostles, he and the others could have commanded some respect or some honour. But they didn't. They laid down all these things for these believers. And in doing so, you know, Paul just took on the character of his own Lord Jesus. Remember, he writes over in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 7. You know, he describes how Jesus, even though Jesus was the Son of God, he humbled himself and he came to this earth as a servant. You know, Jesus didn't cling to his privileges when they were rightfully his. And neither did Paul. 
and so neither should we. You know, I think our enemy, he, he really does try to bait us and he tries to lead us down a road you know, we, we can think more highly of ourselves or perhaps he fills us with pride. And of course, he loves it when we crash and burn and we fail and we make an error. You know, I've seen so many pastors get attacked in this way. You know, where their pride or their lack of self-esteem get the better of them and they fall away into sin. And they just leave their ministry for Jesus so devastated. But you know, this isn't just for pastors. And there are dangers for all of us in this. You know, as we try to serve Jesus and do his ministry, we can end up doing it for our glory. We can end up doing it for what we can get out of it instead of doing it out of love Paul you know he's just a man he's not perfect but we see that it is love that is driving his ministry not just here in Thessalonica but wherever he goes listen to his affection for that church in verse 8 he says that he loved the Thessalonian believers so much you know and there's this real deep affection in his heart for them. But there's actually more than that. It's more than just a love. There's an action there. There's a sacrifice for them. And Paul, he doesn't just see himself as a steward. You know, notice the words that I, I, I missed, um, you know, where it says also that he feels like a mother to them. In verse 7 he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. You see, previously had called himself and his brother stewards of the gospel. But here he compares himself to mothers. And that's quite a different relationship. You see, Paul knows the relationship between a mother and her baby the nurturing that takes place, the bonds that are made. And he knows that actually calling himself a father here isn't quite going to hit what he wants to say. It's not quite going to be sufficient. And he has to go beyond that and compare himself to their mothers. Now, as I can look around here this morning, you know, I can see some very tired mums. You know, our children wear us out. And, uh, and yet, you know, I'm sure there are mums here that have perhaps given up a night's sleep, waiting for your kids to come home from the disco or whatever. Disco? Where did that come from? From the, from the club or whatever. You know, you know, some of you mums have probably were up early this morning dealing with crying children. You know, and there's, you know, in, in you as a mother, there's something there, isn't there, that, um, that is so sacrificial. You know, you, you do these things out of love. Um, and I'm sure there are many times when you've not wanted to get up 
to your child that's crying in the middle of the night. You know, we're not perfect. But you've been tender, you've been gentle, and you've been sacrificial. I mean, over the years, I've, I've seen this very much in my wife, Maggie. You know, she's probably done so much more of the nurturing and the caring of our two children. And, uh, you know, she's been the one that's been getting out in the middle of the night. One of my excuses, well, I've got to go to work in the morning, you know. But that's it. That's what a mum does, isn't it? A mother's affection and her commitment is a beautiful thing. And we see, don't we, that mums are, are just willing to endure anything for the health of their children. I read recently of a mother who'd found herself in a house fire with her 12-day-old baby, this young little baby. And they were on, on the top floor of this house. And, uh, and, and the flames were engulfing them and the smoke was rising. And, and she had to think fast. She had to do something to save her baby daughter. And then she realised in a corner in, in the nursery room, there was a box, you know, with the baby's new car seat that was ready, you know, for when, when the baby was big enough to go in the car. And, and, and so she ran and she emptied the box and she got this car seat out and she wrapped the baby in a blanket and then she put the baby in this child seat, strapped her in and then went to the window and tossed the car seat down onto the floor the ground below. The daughter survived. The baby lived. But the mum, she died of smoke inhalation. The reason I tell that story is because that is an illustration of a mother's love, a mother's sacrificial love. And that is actually how Paul describes himself with the people of God in Thessalonica. And that's what we should aspire to as well. You know, it's so easy sometimes for us just to, to serve ourselves, to ignore the needs of others. But the Lord calls us to a sacrificial love for the sake of his gospel. And Paul calls us to share, as verse 8 puts it, not only the gospel of God, but our own selves with one another too. He calls us to be as mothers to those around us. He tells us to lovingly give our lives, to do it even when it hurts. And if we do this, God will use it for his glory. So we've seen here that, that Paul shows us this vision for Christian service here. He gives us two aspects of our service. To boldly present the gospel, no matter what it costs to us, and to lovingly give our lives beyond where it hurts. You see, the Lord calls us to faithful, sacrificial service. And as I said earlier, this isn't just for pastors or church leaders. It's for all of us. We're all servants. We're all ministers. We're all laborers for the gospel. 
for the church of Jesus. Now let's just go back to where I started. And that person that I asked you to think about. That person that influenced you and perhaps has had a real big impact on your life. I bet if you were to think about the things that you admire about them, the things that attract them to you, I bet these things here are part of that. I bet they showed and expressed these things. You know, I would imagine that probably they may have ended up on occasion teaching you the truth. Perhaps even said things to you from time to time that you really didn't want to hear. But I bet that person also did it in love. That you could sense their affection for you. And that affection was then displayed in their actions as to how they were with you how they loved you, how they put up with you, and all those things. You know, we are meant to show these same things. We're meant to live these same ways. They're so essential to us. So, okay, how does this apply to us today? In the last few moments I've got, I just want to ask a question that actually takes us from this vision that Paul has given us of faithful and sacrificial service to actually what I believe lies behind what he's saying here. And I think that it's this. I think he may be questioning our motivations. I think Dave hinted at this last week in what he was sharing. And what I want to ask this morning is, what is your motivation as you serve? Yeah, as we've looked at Paul this morning, I believe that this is one of the main things that he is highlighting in these verses. You see, Paul's motives for doing what he did in Thessalonica were being questioned and challenged. And in this passage, he's sharing his heart behind his actions, you know, trying to explain why he did what he did. First of all, he says that he serves out of love for God. You know, he doesn't fear people. He doesn't serve people. He serves the Lord. And that's why he keeps preaching the gospel, no matter what trouble it brings him. Secondly, he serves out of a love for God's people. He doesn't fear people. He doesn't, he, he's not in it to get love. Um, <clears throat> he serves the Lord. And that's why he keeps preaching. He's, he deeply loves these people. He's not in it to get what he can get out of it. He's not in it for fortune and glory. He's in it because he loves the church. And he loves to see people saved. And he's in it to give what he can give. So what are your motivations? Do you want to be faithful and honour your father? Is that our desire? Are we willing to sacrifice out of love for our brothers and sisters? Or 
are we tempted to hide parts of this message? You know, are we tempted to run after human approval? You know, when somebody asks you what you believe, when somebody mocks aspects of your faith, are you tempted to mishandle the message? In verse 4, the apostle speaks of not of pleasing man, but rather of God who tests our hearts. In, in verse 5, he calls God as his witness, doesn't he? His witness that his motivations are not wrong. And I believe that we need to ask the Lord to test our hearts, to check our motives, so that we can be faithful and sacrificial in our service too. But how do we change our motivations? I think there are a number of things. Firstly, I think we've got to soak up the Word of God. It's only as we get to know God's Word that it can have the right impression and impact on us. Secondly, I think we've got to drink up God's love through Jesus. We've got to really soak up all that God has for us. And there's certainly no better way of doing that than to worship Him and to praise Him, as we've talked about already this morning. And then thirdly, we need to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and invite him to come and change us. And as we do these things, then we'll want to pass on God's love to others. You know, we'll want to say or do anything that our Father asks of us. You know, if we love our Master, then we're full of joy and, and we'll be full of joy in what he's done for us and we'll want to please him. There are a couple of words at the beginning of this passage that I missed out, really. We're right in, I think it's in verse 1, Paul says this, he says, Our visit to you was not without results. Or as another version puts it, was not in vain. Now have a look at that word vain, and that word vain there means empty. So what Paul was saying was that, you know, Paul knows that his ministry was in no way empty. It wasn't without results. It, it wasn't you know, a waste of time. And I believe that if we are faithful to the gospel of God and we're sacrificial in our service to the people of God, both inside and outside of the church, our ministry will be full of substance and of character too. It won't be hollow. It won't lack results. God will work in and through us. And perhaps we won't necessarily see the results immediately. Perhaps it takes time. But the Lord will be faithful as we do his work in his way. And so, you know, as we've seen from Paul this morning, faithful, sacrificial service is never in vain. You know, and I believe that we as a church... We're moving into a, an amazing time in this immediate future. God's got so much planned for us. And, uh, you know, it, it just makes my heart and my stomach churn and all sorts of things. It, it's so exciting to see what God's going to be doing with us in the coming months and years. But you see, in order to, to, to meet God's requirements of us, 
You know, I believe that we're going to need to be both faithful and sacrificial in our service to one another and to our community. And there will be tough steps ahead, but we need to trust and obey. And I want to encourage each one of us this morning, actually, just to open ourselves up to, to both give and to receive this sort of faithful, sacrificial service. And I want to encourage you to ask God to humble you, to show you your need. Ask him to help you believe the best about those around you. Get into his word. Immerse yourself in the community of our church. And ask the Lord to give you faith. Faith that he can use those around you both to strengthen you and to grow you. And that he will then use you to bless those around you with your own faithful and sacrificial service. Amen. Thank you. Shall we just stand together? Yeah. As I was looking at my notes for this week, you know, during the week and, and, and praying about this morning, you know, there was one song that just kept going round and around and around in my mind. And uh, I'm just going to read the words to you now because I just think they're so pertinent to us and to, to what I believe God wants to do. And it's just that simple little chorus. Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. Now you are the potter. I am the clay. Mould me and make me. This is what I pray. And I just want us to remember those words as we come to a close now, the end of our service. As Dan leads us.